opinionated. I want it to be just like him. He was just so cool. Here's the list of words you can't say all the time. Chip has fucked on cocksucker motherfucker and Ted. And the crowd goes crazy. Chip has fucked on cocksucker motherfucker and They arrested me for profanity. The Supreme Court restricts the broadcast of dirty words. I'm going to jump to it right now. He's the Beatles of comedy. I began this dream of standing in front of people and having their attention. My mother was his biggest champion. She just had a way of lifting people up and believing in them. They were comrades in arms, but then what happened was superstardom. My mom was alone all the time. She's feeling left behind, and now the drugs are there. And it really did undermine everything in her family. I did as much cocaine as there was in the immediate three-county area at that time. He had collapsed in on himself. My career began to wane. I had to find my voice. In 1988, we were going to go do the show to laugh at him because he was this older comic. And Carlin came out with, like, a howitzer. Now they're thinking about banning toy guns, and they're going to keep the fucking real ones! want to be that George Carlin anymore. You want to be a different George Carlin. What I really was, was a rebel. Can't educate our young people, can't get health care to our old people, but we can bomb the shit out of your country, all right? Stand up's the hardest thing. They did the hardest thing for the longest time. It was challenging society to be better. Life is sacred? Who said so? God? Hey, if you read history, you realize that God is one of the leading causes of death. George is still relevant. He changed comedy three or four times, and he's still talking to us. Things that he was getting at were so profound to the culture. If you were the planet trying to defend against this pesky species, viruses, they tried to divide people so that they could run off with all the fucking money. Bullshit is the glue that binds us as a nation. It's the American dream, because you have to be asleep. Hello. <laughs> Don't you just love that? This is the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. The first time I watched that trailer, I was moved. Because at the same time, that's the end. That's probably the only time we're ever going to see a documentary on that level. Because he wasn't just a regular person. In his personal life, he was, but to the rest of the world, he was the goat. He was George Carlin. And it was also moving because having read and listened to his daughter's imagery and what she witnessed growing up she was the daughter of George Carlin and having to find her own niche as Kelly Carlin McCall and then her and then her mother Bren Carlin Brenda Carlin um, so that trailer for George Carlin and American Dream something he he very famously said there's a reason why it's called the American Dream because you have to be asleep to realize it anyone who's everyone and those who loved him and who admired him are in this documentary 
I talked about it recently to now finally see the trailer to know that it's going to premiere on May 20th is truly a magical moment but it's also a bittersweet moment because he would have been 85 years old but even during COVID his daughter Kelly said look he probably wouldn't have made it in terms of his health George Carlin really when you want to talk about someone who with that new fame really took it far in terms of the excess and what and and but that's not even I mean yeah we all talk about that he did a lot of cocaine a lot and had was it three heart attacks but that's only the tip of the iceberg is that his transformation as a comedian from hippy dippy weatherman to to George Carlin that we all know that is a major major sea change and so we those of us who loved him and revered him those who feared him and reviled him namely probably the Supreme Court which they have their own problems right now and yeah um But, yeah, in fact, Matthew Modine said, So happy to see George Carlin trending. There is hope. I love this one. As the world continues to burn in a ridiculous socio-political dumpster fire, George Carlin's brand of cynical, no-holds-barred comedy proves all the more relevant. What better time than now for Judd Apatow and Michael Bloom, uh, I can't even say his name, new documentary oh oh we're waiting for this we have all been waiting i i, I want to say michael's name right because this is this is michael bonfilio bonfilio who've been working went on this documentary when i first heard about the documentary and then kelly confirmed it because that's a lot that's a lot to put because yeah you gotta understand he doesn't just belong to the world first and foremost that is her father she's the only one left her mother's no longer here her uncle um, the late Patrick Carlin George's older brother died recently and so having to basically okay a documentary about her father and having to share her father with the world becoming her own person and so but yeah people are always going to want to talk to her about George always it's like Lauren Bacall Whenever they would talk to her, yeah, you have a movie out, but let's talk about Bogart. Yeah. Some people get tired of it. Some people, they have to live with it. This is a two-parter. This is a major, major two-parter. And I'll, I'll see it, or I'll believe it when I see it, because... 
I've seen some really great documentaries. This is epic. This this is the Last Supper epic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love the seven words HBO will allow on TV. George Carlin's American Dream documentary. This is true. I love Rolling Stone said this. George Carlin gets the king of comedy treatment in new documentary. Yep. I think we're all feeling that. We're all feeling that love. And at the same time, it's bittersweet because he's not here. But he probably would have been like, why would you do that? <laughs> because I don't think he... I mean, I didn't know him. I, my cousin met him. He met him twice. And, and that's the thing I talked about recently was George Carlin was not always funny. He was not always on. When he was on stage, he was moving like that. A mile a second. Or a million miles a second. But when he's being interviewed, he's not on. He's aware of that. He's a genius. This is coming May 20th on HBO. Get those subscriptions ready if you don't have it. All right. It's directed by Jud Jud Apatow and Michael Blue. Both. Oh, oh my goodness. I I see what happens. Michael Bonfilio. Bonfilio. This is this is my goodness. This is a two-parter. It's a two-parter. It's going to be the talk of the town. It's going to be the talk of of those who loved him and the those of us who watched and just just laughed and and even still to this day take what we take what he said so long ago it seems so long ago and and we just live with it like when he said that it's the american dream it's a dream because you have to be asleep to realize it yep to recognize it. The cover art is so amazing. It's so amazing. So many different lives. So many different skins. And it's one man. It's George Carlin. This is... this is. Sometimes when you have a cast of characters and talking heads, it gets a little crowded. But this is... Oh my god. Jerry Seinfeld, Patton Oswalt, Bill Burr, Chris Rock, Bette Midler, George Carlin himself in archival footage, John Stewart, Stephen Colbert, Stephen Wright, Judy Gold, Sam J, W. Camus Bell, uh, or I want to say her name right because I she's a comedian. I want to give her respect. And um, W. Kamau Bell, Kamau Bell, Jerry Hamza. Sally Wade, Kelly Carlin, produced by Nancy Abram, Judd Apatow, Michael Bofilio, Kelly Carlin McCall, Jerry Hamza, Lisa Heller, Teddy Leifer. This, this is, this is, this is Pierre Resistance. I talked about this the other night, how we were all waiting for this and even I was waiting for the trailer and then when I saw the trailer dropped I immediately watched it and I just kind of I was outside and I kind of sat there and just looked at it and watched it again and again and again I'm getting ready for it 
it's one of those moments where you're not going to go to the bathroom, you're not going to eat popcorn, you're not even in the movie theater, you're at home, but still you are glued to it. You don't want to remove yourself from this moment. You want to take it all in like you're seeing him on stage. And I know people who saw him on stage. My cousin uh, saw him, uh, my good friend, uh, Carlos Delano. Carlos's real name is Kevin, by the way. Um, he saw him right before he died. And he told me that George Carlin made him laugh until he cried. It was just, it, it was a release. <sighs> There's a lot to be said about George Carlin. This maverick, this icon, this father, this brother, this lover, this husband, this 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 uh, maverick of comedy, this intelligent being. I always stress that you know we always talk about higher education. He didn't go to college. He didn't need to. He was brilliant. You can't fake that. Oh my God. He was born George Dennis Patrick Carlin on May 12, 1937, in New York City. And he died on June 22, 2008, in Santa Monica, California, at the young age of 71. People. I've talked to people before. I won't mention any names. And they say, oh yeah, so-and-so was 70. They were old. And I'm thinking, really? When you have a parent who's 70, you don't think they're... I don't think they're old. Okay? My grandmother didn't even make it to 70. She wasn't old. So... I, I remember when my grandfather was 75 and he and he got to park in the senior citizen parking. He lived to be 87, 86 years old. So, but even then I didn't think he was old. When you get into your 80s, that's a different story. When you get into your 90s, that's a different story, Okay. So if George Carlin had lived, he'd be 85 years old next week on Thursday. And um, that's why it's bittersweet. It's bittersweet that he's no longer here. Many of his contemporaries are no longer here. His brother Patrick, um, Brenda Carlin, his wife, his muse, his comrade, she died at a very young age at the ripe young age of 60 and then his um, his second wife Sally Wade who was with him, with him until he died um, this, this is such a and then his brother his brother Patrick died on April 17th 2022 at the age of 91 was a writer he was George's best friend he was his older brother I mean come on come on those are connections those are synapses that you don't get back 
legacies. And so that trailer, by the way, I got to give copyright to Credence Clearwater Revival because that's what's playing in the background. They're from California, by the way. I want to mention Carlos. I like to call him Carlos, but you know, he wouldn't mind my saying this. His real name is Kevin. We were talking one time. I, I miss talking to him. Such a, it's such a great conversationalist. Easy on the eyes, but but also when you get to know him, I don't think people understand that to really have deep conversations with someone on an intimate level like that. And he was telling me, we were talking, and he said, because he knows I'm from Northern California, and he said, he was, he was asking about Credence Clearwater Revival, and he says, now I know. They didn't write it about Lodi, New Jersey. No, they wrote it about Lodi, California. Because Creedence Clearwater Revival, CCR, were from the Bay Area. They're from the San Francisco, Berkeley, uh, probably Hayward area. Uh, yeah, the hippies. Uh, but back to George Carlin. What, that's fitting to have that song in there. Because... The counterculture. The counterculture is what influenced George Carlin. Uh, I want to give a shout out to a friend of mine whom I went to college with. So amazing. So, such a loving person, Karen, if you're listening. And we were talking about young people. And she says she's drawn to young people because of our ideas and because of how we change the ideas and. And this understanding that we all have of one another. We all may come from different walks of life. Different uh, beliefs and different um, beginnings. But we all come together and we learn from one another. And when I was thinking about George, I was thinking of her, Karen. Because George, he that's what he did. He saw the counterculture in the college students and it encouraged him to become himself because he really wasn't the hippy dippy weatherman that was a character that he created Carlin came out of radio and transitioned to or moved to stand up I don't want to say transition because yeah words come on um Although he would have got a kick out of that, I'm sure. Like, a transition to what? A beetle? A bug? A shoe? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I talked about, I think it was last night. Oh, it, it doesn't seem like Monday. It's, you know, yesterday was Sunday. The seven words you can't say on TV. And everyone in the documentary says those beautiful seven words. Huh. This is this is truly a moment. And a couple of years ago when I first started this podcast, I think it was was it during pandemic, I had my cousin on here to talk about George. And I'm sure we'll talk about the documentary when it comes out. So stay tuned. That's the thing with a really great documentary. You get some revelations that you probably didn't even know or some easter eggs. 
It's like going and having really great Mexican food on Friday or Saturday night. I'm craving some. Going to the foothills where I like to go and get some really great Mexican food and hearing a conversation or talking about a conversation that you didn't know about or just enjoying the moment. And that's what I feel this documentary is going to be. For all of us to live in that moment. And when it's over, we're all going to be bawling. We're going to be laughing. We're going to be crying. And that's what's going to happen. Because we don't want to let go of George. Nobody does. But I think this, this documentary is the beginning and the end. Because who knows when this will ever be done again. When a documentary comes into the forefront... It's, it's either all or nothing. You either go big or you go home. And when it's someone of the caliber, someone who was beloved and hated and feared and admired by so many people, and you think of the comedians that revered him, you think of his contemporaries like Richard Pryor Lenny Bruce that's a moment like Joan Rivers you can't get that back they're gone I remember watching the Joan Rivers documentary and she talked about that how they were going to pay tribute to George at the Kennedy Center because he was receiving the Mark Twain Prize posthumously. And she said something interesting. She said, I love what she said. She said, this was everything George wasn't. This was, you know, George hated being, he hated being, he was anti-establishment. Yeah. Yeah. So... This is this is George Carlin on his terms, this documentary. I want to thank everyone who's involved with it. But first and foremost, I want to thank Kelly. Because I know this was tough. And listening to your book, and I and I told you this online in some in I think it was 2020. That really got me through COVID because I would go for a walk and or because I was listening to it when I was going to the gym when you still could go to the gym it's called the Carlin Home Companion and it was so beautiful it was so moving because it was about family it was about what happens to the family dynamic when everything changes for the better and also for the worst and the and the excesses and the the black holes and then having to climb out of all of that and the grief and the love and the self-discoveries and so because Kelly has had to share her father with the world and we all should be aware of that And I know that people always want to ask her about her father and I don't because she is her own person she's a brilliant person 
and listening to her talk, I mean, about her life and about her studies throughout the world and then being influenced by her family. She wasn't from a typical family. She was from a family where her father was this this this, this comedian, this Mount Olympus. But he was dad to her. So she saw things that she will keep to herself, I'm sure. And her mother as well. And and the support and the love that they gave to George when that's a speeding bullet fame. That is a speeding train. And when it slows down, it comes to a screeching halt. And in the documentary, you hear Bill Burr talk about it, how they were going to go just to laugh at him because they thought he'd fallen off. And he stunned him and he surprised him. And that's, that's really what a prize fighter does. That's what a, an Olympic athlete does. And George Carlin was so smart. He knew, okay, I got to do my homework. I got to flex these muscles. I got to get out there and I got to shake it up. And I got to leave that stage with everyone's mind and toupee blown. Okay? It was like you were going to a rock concert at the Democratic Convention in 1968. Only it's 2008. <laughs> a remix. So thank you, Kelly, for sharing your story and sharing this this moment with us but most importantly for for sharing your father and to Judd Apatow for oh my god this is going to be extraordinary you know those remember when those water cooler moments people don't go around the water cooler now they just have their coffee cups because I've seen it you know you you bring your own water anyway Uh, this is going to be one of those moments where everyone's going to be talking about did you see HBO last night could you believe it he would have loved it he would have loved it or he would have hated it I don't know I think he would have loved it I think he would have loved it that Oh. And so I, I have to give thanks and respect to these filmmakers, Judd Apatow and Michael Bonfilio. Michael Bonfilio. See, I said it because the, the computer told me to. <laughs> oh, God. HBO. Here we go. This is going to be. This is basically the, the Ten Commandments of Comedy. Only it's the seven words you can't say on television. Comedy. This is this documentary is gonna part that fucking Red Sea. Only in my mind, I always like to joke about Easter. That really Easter is going to be canceled, and it's gonna be an episode of The Departed, and Jack Nicholson is gonna part the Red Sea with a hand in a baggie. 
Yeah, because they didn't dump him in the fucking mosh. Yeah, I, I thought I'd just throw that in there. Because that's how this is going to be. This is going to be George comes, <laughs> appears not from heaven, but from the world in between worlds and says, ah, oh, fuck it, and parts the sea, and boom, you get a two-parter documentary. <laughs> Come on. People are already lining up for this. They're lining up for it. Um, that would be a good event to have it put in the theaters. It really would. People would laugh until they fucking cried. And, uh, I'm so ready for this. It's almost like you have to take a day off just to watch it. But that's not feasible. So, May 20th, and then May 21st, um, or is it going to be in the same night, the same breath? We're in May. Can you believe it? How, how fast it moves. Friday and Saturday. This is going to be a crazy explosion of senses. This is like when I watch Rick and Morty. I remember when George Carlin was on Mad TV and he did Touch by an Atheist. And I thought that show was hilarious. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I talk about him all the time with people. Especially college students. They were like... I was talking to two of them and they were talking about having a comedian come to the school. And I said... Well, you know, a lot of real known comedians stopped doing that in the 90s because of PC culture. And they're like, really? And I said, yeah, especially George Carlin. And George, and that was sad because George Carlin really, his counterculture re rebirth, or I shouldn't say that, he wouldn't like that, his counterculture uh, reemergence as this new George Carlin was influenced by the college students and by the youth in, in, in the world and their look and their ideas and the way they talked and the way they, they just explained things and saw things and the drugs as well and uh, and then Jerry Seinfeld too you know they talk about that how back then you were a comedian you toured the campuses not, not anymore because they can't take it. Do you think they could take it? I mean, some of them, I, I can see it because some of them are very serious. And then some of them, it's like, I get it. Because they, sometimes the humor goes over someone's head. Not just college students, but <coughs> I think that we're too much into PC culture. And I and I can see it. I can I can understand it. Some people have accused me of it. Oh, oh, you you don't like that word because of you know. It's like, no, no. You're you're talking to someone who grew up in the '90s, where people would call each other, you know, pejoratives for fun. You know. Um, I mean, if you were in the car with me when I have my moments of road rage, oh, some of the shit that comes out of my mouth. And it's words that I've been called. So, and I'm not going to repeat them because that's, uh, that's me alone in my car. Especially if I'm driving to the Bay Area, then it gets really crazy. So I just have to, I, I've been learning to focus. <coughs> 
and having my George Carlin moments in the car. <laughs> I'm and I'm yeah, I'm probably saying all those dirty words. And then some. So I could basically make a comedy album on my way to Berkeley or on my way to San Francisco because the drivers out there are they're fucking crazy. I'm not gonna hold back. Are you kidding me? That freeway is, is very, you know, it's it's a windy freeway. It's not a windy road, but it's a freeway that turns a lot, and people are driving like psychos. And I'm not one of them because it's like I I try to get out of that melee. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? You're probably driving that fast just because you want to either go go to yoga or you want to have a boba drink I'm just trying to get to a concert that I paid for that's it I'm going to the concert I'm not trying you know I'm not going to go take in a show no now if George Carlin were still alive almost definitely I would have gone and see him in San Francisco are you kidding me come on George Carlin. I didn't get a chance to go see him. I liked him. I liked him from afar. I don't think I really got fully into him until I was probably a teenager. And I watched this. There was this comedy special on NBC, and they and they were talking about all the greats. And there, you know, and there was Carlin. And they were talking about the seven words you can't say on TV and. The, the performance and the after effect or more 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 like aftertaste <laughs> trust me if you've had an whenever you've had a napper to aftertaste it's like well that that's how some people take in comedy they don't know how to take it and uh but Carlin could take it Carlin was a pro I think the PC culture, um, I think he just would have said fuck it and he would have either just disappeared into thin air. He's like, I can't take this shit, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been said that, you know, he was going to do a comedy special and something happened 21 years ago. And, and change the trajectory of everything, including his show. And they had to scrap it. And then a lot of the material turned into something else. Life is worth losing. That's what it turned into. So here we are talking about George Patrick. Was it George Patrick? I'm ready for this, man. I'm ready for it. It's almost like, don't bother me. I'm going to go watch it. It's a really good documentary. You really have to pay attention to, or you'll miss something. And then you got it. And you can't rewind anymore. Now you have to press, you know, the reverse button and, and hope that you don't go too far. So he was born George Dennis Patrick Carlin. Four letters right there. <laughs> Four letter word. <laughs> oh my god. Was, yeah. I loved how his mind worked. 
Because some of the stuff that he said was brutally honest, but it was truthful. Yeah. Some people some people can't take it. There's some of his stuff you watch it and you're like, damn. That really was that cut. That cut. It didn't cut me. But it's gonna cut somebody. So This is this is an extraordinary time that we get to watch, we get to relive George Carlin, his his essence, everything that he ever was. Whether he was doing Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, whether he was up there giving you stand up, and he just didn't give it to you. He brought it. He brought it and he slapped you around and he stuck a stick up your ass. And then he laughed and he hollered and he and he gave you the the rundown. Um and, and he did that out of love. He did that out of love for because he knew that humanity was sliding down this it wasn't a slippery slope, it's a shit storm. It's is it it's it's diarrhea, it's vomit, it's everything. It's you what is it he said you get a ticket to the freak show. And so what's going on right now with this le- I leaked. Remember the in parentheses the word leaked. It could maybe it could just be a shopping list. I don't know. Here's the thing with well know what i'm not gonna say it i'm gonna let george say it because there's always there we live in a meme word uh where people create memes of of carlin saying this uh but he he really this is why we we i'm see i'm at a loss for words oh shit here we go here it is here it is Conservatives are really something, aren't they? They're all in favor of the unborn. They will do anything for the unborn. But once you're born, you're on your own. Pro-life conservatives are obsessed with the fetus from conception to nine months. After that, they don't want to know about you. They don't want to hear from you. No nothing. No neonatal care, no daycare, no head start, no school lunch, no food stamps, no welfare, no nothing. If you're pre-born, you're fine. If you're preschool, you're fucked. Conservatives don't give a shit about you until you reach military age. Then they think you are just fine, just what they've been looking for. Conservatives want live babies so they can raise them to be dead soldiers. Pro-life. Pro-life. These people aren't pro-life, they're killing doctors. What kind of pro-life is that? What, they'll do anything they can to save a fetus, but if it grows up to be a doctor, they just might have to kill it? They're not pro-life. You know what they are? They're anti-woman. Simple as it gets. Anti-woman. They don't like women. That is George Carlin in the fucking 90s. Almost 30 motherfucking years ago. He saw it. He saw it. He saw it. 
he he saw it before any of us could see it and so that's why in, in these really I don't know what else to tell you times shit's going down shit's going down and and he foresaw it it's almost like he was Nostradamus he was Nostradamus you know how like um, <laughs> Paul Mooney was Negro Damas yeah this is Carlin Damas okay this is uh yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, my God. But see, that's why I loved him. Um, I was seeing he even... He thinks they have a right to not have their feelings hurt. I know. They actually think that's a given right that the forefathers wrote in that said, your feelings, um, they can't be hurt. And that is, you You could say whatever you want as far as hurting someone's feelings. That's yeah. that left-wing paternalism. Big, big white oh, daddy. Oh, yeah. Big white daddy knows best. Uh, that, yep. That came, you know, everyone, we all got to understand that we could expect censorship from the right wing. Mm-hmm. Over time, we know that's where, that's where it's going to come from. But to expect it from the left wing, from the, from the politically correct people in the campuses, especially the Eastern Ivy League campuses, um, that, that, that caught me by surprise. The yeah. conservatives have always hid behind, like, uh, family values and religion, and it seems like what the liberals hide behind is things like hate speech. Like, that's how they get you to kind of not say what kind of smash yeah. their ideology. Yeah, it's it, this this country went off the cliff and it's just in free fall now. <laughs> I mean, it's just you know we're waiting for the for the big bang to happen. And it's so wonderful what nature is doing to smack us back. This arrogant species who overbuilds, overreaches, overuses, wastes, just completely lays waste and, and despoils everything it touches. Three-wheel vehicles, all-terrain vehicles. We're going to go everywhere there's some sand. We're going to make a mark, and we're going to make an ugly mark, and then we're going to not worry about it, and we're going to come home, and we're going to barbecue. You know, it's just, it's just a sick, sick... It's disgust in my voice you're hearing. <laughs> and that's Carlin. Carlin talking about the left, talking about the right. Uh... This is his transformation. My creative and commercial, the marriage of the two, saved me. But my record career had pretty much died down. I had four gold records in the early 70s, and you can't be the new hot guy in town forever. So I began to fade and then run out of ideas. I drifted a while. HBO came along. In 77, I did my first show for them. They didn't have many subscribers. 78, I did another one. And I was on my way. I've now done 13 of them. And number 14 is coming. And that is what has kept me in front of a mass audience without censorship. I don't mean just fuck shit and piss. I mean ideas that would be unwelcome on commercial enterprise television. Because commercials, it's, it's in the word. It's a commercial enterprise. They can't allow you to be upsetting the customers. No, no, no. Can you just soften that a little? I don't do that. I mean, I do The Tonight Show occasionally. I do Letterman occasionally just to plug a new thing that came out that I want to plug. And 
and I work on some things for them that are, that are good for the panel, you know. But uh, HBO without without commercials, boy, that saved my ass. And it made it really made me who I am. It allowed me to continue working 200 days a year or 100, however many I was well, well enough to do. And that forced me to write. Every time an HBO came around, I'd throw the show on and write another one. I became a writer because of HBO. It's a weird life, you know. I read something when I was still a comedian in the, in the Greenwich Village, a friend of mine, Bob Altman, uh, not Robert Altman, Bob Altman. He told me about Arthur Kessler's act of creation. And in the uh, act of creation, Arthur Kessler, I don't remember the details of this well enough to do it justice, so I'm going to have to shorthand it to the part that meant something to me. He showed a triptych, a three-paneled illustration. And one of the, li and there were several listings down, several listings in, in the vertical column, each of them. And then, then, of course, you could go look across from one triptych to the second to the third. And that was the progression of a creative person. And the jester was in the first triptych. And the jester is, of course, a person who makes jokes. He makes these funny jokes. But if he has ideas attached, if the jokes are built on sound ideas, if there's something philosophical in his thinking that the jokes illuminate, then he's a bit of a philosopher, too. So he goes to the second part of the triptych. Jester becomes just a philosopher now. And if he does those things with marvelous language, language that thrills us, particularly graceful combinations of words and runs and rhythms of language, then he becomes a poet as well. And so the jester has become a philosopher poet, and he's all one. And I read that very, at a very young period before my development really kicked into gear. And yet somehow it stayed with me. And I think I have now, I think I can now do a little justice to that theory. I think I can claim to have my, my essay, their essays now, they, there are sound ideas in them. The jokes are great. I, I would never run from jokes. Joke, 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 joke. I love big jokes. I love fat jokes. I love home run jokes. And I just put in five or six more the other day in this piece that's almost finished. And I love the jokes. But the jokes are there to uh, decorate the ideas. The ideas are about what I don't like in this country. What it is I'm sort of kind of disenchanted by in my fellow man, my fellow human, and my fellow American. So those are the ideas. But then I, can, I found that I had this ability my father had to be really good with language and to put it into kind of interesting sounding bits and snatches and runs and trills and things. And so I've kind of gotten that. I mean, I, I kind of have inherited that. And, and now I feel fully realized as a performing writer. See, I used to think of myself as a writer, as, as a performer who wrote his own material. I always bragged about that in interviews. I'd say, I write my own material, because a lot of Canadians didn't. I'd say, I'm a, I'm a comedian, but I write my own material. Now I think I'm a writer who performs his own material. I write, but I have two places for it, books and on stage. Hearing you talk about, you know, the, the jester, philosopher, poet, I thought of that, the opening monologue of one of those specials, Modern Man. Yeah. And it's, it's a rap. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's, it is, it's a rap poem. Yeah. And it's all about language, and it's all about jargon, really. American jargon in this uh, this decade, let's call it. Yeah. And uh, I'm a modern man, a man for the millennium, digital and smoke-free, a diversified, multicultural, postmodern deconstructionist, politically, anatomically, and ecologically incorrect. 
I'll do a short part of it for you. I've been uplinked and downloaded. I've been inputted and outsourced. I know the upside of downsizing. I know the downside of upgrading. I'm a high-tech lowlife, a cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, bi-coastal multitasker, and I can give you a gigabyte in a nanosecond. I'm new wave, but I'm old school. And my inner child is outward bound. I'm a hot-wired, heat-seeking, warm-hearted, cool customer. Voice-activated and biodegradable. I interface with a database, but databases in cyberspace, so I'm interactive, I'm hyperactive, and from time to time, I'm radioactive. That's enough for <laughs> That is George Carlin talking to the Academy of American Television. So, let's get ready. May 20th. Uh, I'm going to do it we're gonna do two shows about it and you're gonna have fun so unpleasant dreams <laughs> 